Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, we're going to collaborate with The Dr. Joe Show, of which I'm a co-host. This was an amazing episode, and I really wanted to share it with you in case you hadn't already heard it. Please enjoy. It's so timely, just just so people understand what we're about to talk about. We don't very often talk immediately about things that are happening right now in the news, but this is such an important part of our world right now. We could not ignore it. We really could not. So, Tom, could you introduce our guest tonight, please? That's right. Tonight we have... A veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan, 82nd Airborne Division veteran, Patrick Brandt. Yes, yes. let's get that applaud up a let's little bit. Let's get that applause going for this man who has... Thank you, first of all, Patrick, for your service. Thank you. Thank and, you, friends. And thank you for being here tonight to talk about your experiences overseas but also what it's like for you right now and and sure other other veterans uh, as we have left afghanistan sure um well i guess to start out I'll, you know give you all a bit of a timeline um of my service i was uh in the army for six years a little over six years 2004 to 2010 so i guess at this point i was kind of in on the early or stages of the conflict Uh, With Afghanistan specifically, I was there for about 13 months from 2005 to 2006. Uh, My unit, the the 82nd uh, Division, we were sort of on a year-on, year-off rotation at that time uh, from going overseas and and redeploying back to the States. So uh, it was basically a year in Afghanistan, year home, year in Iraq, a year home, and then another year in Iraq. Uh, And that sort of uh, finished off uh, my career. and so yeah i have i would say definitely i've seen a lot of evolution of the face of this conflict in particular um where we were you know uh in in 2004 with desert tan camouflage and and green woodland camouflage equipment because we didn't you know they didn't have all of the desert camouflage to you know uh now where uh, most of the war was fought, you know, remotely with drone strikes, and uh, um, uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite an interesting ride, I think, for everyone, <laughs> especially folks back home. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, again, appreciate your service. How did you decide to go into the service at all? <clears throat> um, I would say it was probably adventurism over really anything else, um, really over patriotism you know personally um i graduated high school in 2004 um i was a sophomore uh during 9-11 um so as as a you know a kid looking for uh looking for something that wasn't school i hated school (laughs) you know i barely graduated high school uh looking for something uh some action you know the patriotic fervor that was sweeping america you know at that time 2002 2003 it was i had a lot of support behind me you know wanting to do what i did and i didn't come from a military family my mother didn't want me to join uh 
you know, she fully supported it and was very proud of me, but, you know, um, we just weren't that type of family. But, so, it, I don't know there was, like I said, a very patriotic as much as it was, if I say with an amount of, of shame that I saw war as an opportunity to connect with something that I thought was real and that was visceral, um, you know, uh, that was a real test of my uh, humanity, I guess, which, you know, hindsight, that's that's a pretty naive and pretty privileged, I think, view of war hmm. that's reserved for Americans. Hmm. But, shame? You use the word shame. Why is that? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was shame out of um, having such a self-centered view of 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 warfare and like what it means and you know me I was just thinking it was like like I said I just thought it was like an adventure you know I didn't I didn't consider the impact of of being an occupational force in someone else's backyard mm. you know um and I you know I saw the conflict as very black and white terrorist versus good guys um and good guys even being you know people overseas the local nationals that wanted our help bringing freedom you know um i absolutely bought into all that and i you know now i'm an actor uh living in new york uh i'm quite leftist uh don't mind saying uh <laughs> so the 180 that i've taken i think has has left a bit of you know residual shame i mean i've forgiven myself and i think we all you know change and develop i think that's what a lot of your show seems to center around mm -hmm. um and so but i can't you know i can't help you know the the things that i was involved with had such a grave impact on other people you know it's hard to you know just kind of forgive and move on from that without some shame hmm. that's powerful though patrick to be able to acknowledge that and, and yeah. live with that as well you know yeah well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I've, uh, I think that I am, for whatever reason, pretty okay talking, you know, about this stuff. And I think maybe part of it is my more liberal upbringing, maybe, um, my more sort of in touch emotionally upbringing, maybe, than some of my veteran uh, brothers and sisters. Um, well, for whatever reason, I've, you know, I really, think it's important to sort of maybe objectively view my situation and objectively view my experience and try to bring like a truthful voice behind it um and one that sort of serves the larger community to get a better knowledge of actually what maybe what uh, is in the mind of a foot soldier that you know and, and i don't know to yes to, and it's it's been a bit of a journey to be able to talk this frankly about it, you know, without uh, some, uh, you know, uh, traumatic responses. Um, but I've been pretty successful in being able to navigate this, you know, with, with the help of many other people. And so I do think it's a bit of a responsibility to be able to sort of share my voice about it when I can. Well, I appreciate it. Yep. Patrick. Um, um. Off air, we were talking a little bit that you haven't spoken about this uh, in the public setting before? No, no, I haven't. No, I've, uh, you know, I've spoken with it in, I think, small groups of very different people. Um, when I got out of the Army, I went to school in a, in a private liberal arts college, a Quaker college. 
that had a giant sign in front of their uh, uh, little lounge area that said, you know, uh, war is not the answer, and uh, which at the at the time, you know, I sort of not got offended by, but it sort of kind of made me hold my breath a little bit, like how accepting, you know, will people be here? And, and as a 25-year-old talking to 18-year-old fellow students that just, you know, the first question out of your mouth is, well, did you kill anyone? You know, mm-hmm. and sort of talking from that point, mm-hmm. you know, down to a point that I kind of wanted to make, you know, to kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, but yeah, talking with them, you know, um, I've talked with groups, rooms full of communists about my experiences. Um, but yeah, never in quite the public sphere like this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate the opportunity. Well, so do we, and... Uh, for those folks who know the Dr. Joe show, you know, we talk about the I am approach, how, you know, people are always doing the best they can. It's your current maximum potential, the potential to change in the very next second to another best you can. And I think one of the most difficult things to comprehend in the I am is war, mm. you know, and what it, what it really means. How can countries be at an I am and be at war? But it is part of their I am. If they don't like it, they can change it. How do you understand war now? <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, from the Americans' perspective, I think I understand war through, I guess I would put it the same way I understand our, you know, love of hamburgers. Uh, <laughs> we are so detached from how a hamburger is made. So, you know, we have people that cringe at hunters, you know, for their way of life that go off to, you know, a fast food chain in the same breath. So I think from an American's perspective, there's been a detachment of war, the spectacle versus war, the consequence. I don't know. Hmm. Um, Now, from the quote-unquote other side, war is a desperate, laxed act to somehow cling to a world that doesn't want them around Mm. is, I guess, what I would say. Um, This isn't an original thought of mine, but, um, you know, it has been suggested to compare sort of the the belief system or the ideology that an American soldier goes into war with. Uh, You know, and yes, we're fed, you know, for, for, for your country, these colors don't run, you know, bringing freedom to the world. But when it really gets down to it, I mean, you know, I think when we think about what America represents, the sort of commodityism that we're really fighting for, you know, because we know we're all comfortable over here or whatever. And, and so what's really at risk for us if we lose versus the local national um, who is picking up a 40-year-old assault rifle and aiming it at a American convoy knowing that they're about to get blown out of the, you know, dust for it. And why do they do that? You know, mm-hmm. what a, what is at stake for them? And it's so much more when you get down to it. And they have so much more that they need to fight for that the American soldier doesn't need to fight for when it comes down to it. Mm-hmm. So I guess that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and how how do you then use these experiences and we're going to go deeper into them mm-hmm. in your theater and your acting now because i just so, just so people know 
you know, full disclosure, uh, I met Patrick just about a week ago or so, maybe even less, watching him uh, at uh, Stella Adler School of uh, Drama in his graduating performance, and it was brilliant. But you played a character that was a particular type of person. <laughs> Right, you want to just describe that just for a moment? Yeah, well, the the yeah, so the play centered around um, two couples, and this is a contemporary play. Um, two couples, a conservative couple and a liberal couple, and through uh, some situations, basically they end up having to come together because there is a intravenous baby that has been swapped, and so one couple is raising the other couple's child, essentially. Right. And it's about coming to terms with, you know, these sort of American archetypes, and I played the conservative male, um, a, a redneck from Ohio, essentially. So, yeah, um, I don't, you know, yeah, my, my experience as it relates to my, my work as an actor, uh, it's, they're inseparable. Mm. Um, you know, the, uh, from the, the school I went to, Stella Adler Studio of Acting, they, they're, they're, mission statement is is growth as an actor and growth as a human being are synonymous mm. so in order to grow and to really bring the respect to the craft that an actor needs you need to grow as a human and then you need to empathize with people that are not you and you need to be able to bring truth to their story um you know i uh my experiences in the army sh surely exposed me to a lot of different people, you know, oh. people that I served with. I mean, my gosh, the there is no stereotype of the American soldier, mm. you know. There there are video game nerds as just as much as there are, you know, football stars and everything in between and men and women and uh all, you know, all sorts of gender identities and sexual identities. Uh anything under the sun is in a uniform right now. Um so that was an aspect, you know, the local nationals that we interacted with that we, I did not know any of their language and, you know, building a rapport based on hand signs and rudimentary, you know, um, um, communication, uh, finding the humanity in there and finding the very similar, you know, uh, facial expressions and, and hand gestures and everything. Um, and even in my enemy, you know, I, I, I had to empathize with, my quote-unquote enemy I, I felt like in order to felt like i i deserved um being on the battlefield uh, i guess that's the best way i could describe it um you deserved being on the battlefield what, what, do, you, what do you mean yeah um that was a real stream of conscience thing just there i it's think what lovely. i meant was you know what i was talking about earlier like that it wasn't just a video game right that because you know, but I don't. You know, back then I even I reasoned it that, well, he 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 or she, you know, made the decision to fight for their country on this battlefield, and so did I, mm -hmm. and so I have to start with that sort of mutual respect about this person mm -hmm. that they're showing up, they're showing up with a lot less support than I'm showing up with, and if I don't respect that, I mean, practically, if I don't respect that, you're kind of dead, mm -hmm. <laughs> but but. I think if I didn't respect that, then I would feel like an animal mm. out there. But, but you know, I, I think that's a powerful insight that I'm. I don't think many people have considered. Yeah. You know, this the mutuality of being in the armed forces as mm -hmm. soldier on both sides, both fighting for something you believe in. Yeah. 
I think it was a lot easier to uh, find that when we had, you know, uniformed enemies, when we had people that looked like us that were on the other side that were fighting for similar reasons. Um, But I think when we started getting into, you know, counterinsurgency, if you will, you know, particularly Vietnam and through this war, that I think it became easier to sort of dehumanize and detach ourselves from these people that, you know, very... Not unlike, uh, you know, in in the Revolutionary War era where, you know, our, we celebrate our patriots for fighting like the indigenous people fought and going against the rules of war mm-hmm. and the British officers were looking down at us like, how dare we, you know, break these time-honored traditions of, you know, not shooting officers and that sort of thing. And it's really flipped its script to where now we're the people that, uh, or at least... A lot of us believe that, you know, these savages are just, you know, running amok and just can't play with everyone else nicely or something. This is really a critical insight because I I truly believe that the only way a human being can hurt another human being is to dehumanize them first. And that that sounds, you know, sinister, but the other side of it, is it shows how much we really have the capacity to care for each other. Mm, the yeah. only way we can hurt someone is to make them not human. Mm. What, was, what does that really say about us as human beings? And if we can tap into that commonality, mm-hmm. tap into that reality that we actually really do care about other humans, yeah. let's get rid of these, these groups, the in-group and the out-group. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That that would be definitely be the dream. Yeah, I want to make that dream a reality. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, on that point, this is a bit of a digression, but this is something that has come up a lot with with us is in that search to break down these barriers and break down these groups. Um, I know that there's been a bit of a calling to sort of jump right to that, especially mm-hmm. in this this post 2020 political ground. But I do want to say just from my personal opinion that we have some things to make up for mm. before we are on that equal footing where no one is better than the other one you know and i think that to skip over that and you know just mm. saying like inter- injecting critical race theory in schools i think is a great way to bring that equality eventually but i think that we have as as you know white people that we have some some ground to be accountable for before we kind of reach the you know the equal footing with everyone else but yeah i think that's perfectly fair yeah. right it's not it's not a free ride is what i'm saying the i am is not a free ride you are yeah. held responsible that is one of the tenets of the i am i like that you know just because it's the best you can do doesn't mean you're not going to be held responsible for it because you control no one you influence everyone everything mm-hmm. you do has an impact on somebody else. It's mm-hmm. kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. And that's why you are responsible, not a free ride. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess on the note of Afghanistan and what's currently going on, um, yeah, I know I mean, we were just talking about there are a lot of veterans out there right now that are having a really hard time uh, Swallowing and receiving what uh, has transpired in the past, you know, week, in the past couple of weeks, you know, for anyone paying attention, you know, the past (laughs) 
year maybe mm. um but yeah uh i guess maybe to just sort of directly address any one of y'all that are listening that has spent time over there and feeling really dejected um you know i uh i i hope I hope you are finding solace in knowing that whatever level you were on, that wasn't the level that resulted in uh, where we are today. Um, and that, you know, in a lot of ways we are asked to be cops over there and soldiers are not cops. We were asked to build relationships with communities and people uh, during deployments that lasted from six months to a year and then we were ripped out of those areas of operation and mm. brand new people were brought in to start the process all over again mm. i know that there are a lot of people that made some really close friendships in a very short amount of time with um locals with their own you know uh soldiers and uh i don't I guess I don't know what else to tell you except that um, you just got to know why you were over there the moment you were over there with. And uh, you're capable of change every day. And uh, I think you will find that if you talk that most of the nation is still behind you however they feel about the war in general or anything and I don't want you to feel like you're an outcast right now at all and I don't want you to feel like you're alone at all and I know those can be pretty pretty empty words <laughs> I'm also trying to try really hard not to cuss right now because it's come so naturally when I feel like I'm talking to a soldier um, but uh people do have your back and people do want to help and people do know that we're in pain right now and a lot of people are in pain right now and a lot of people are disappointed so uh reach out to those you know people those veteran brothers and sisters that you haven't in a couple of years um and i guess you probably know there's not a whole lot more i can say about that to you <laughs> right now but i do love you and i'm there for you so Thank you, Patrick. We are very grateful. Very grateful. You know, you mentioned Vietnam, and mm. this war may have been like Vietnam, but the way we are treating the people coming back, I hope, will not be the same and is not the same. Mm. Oh, absolutely. We absolutely are grateful for what you have done. I think in that respect, when it comes to how people view the veterans, I think... America has learned a lot of its lesson in that regard, yeah. which we, we are thankful for, I th you know, very much. But, yeah. What was the adjustment like? I, I, I've got a couple of, of questions that have come in. Yeah. Me, to what, was it hard adjusting being back, and what made you decide to be an actor after your service? Yeah, well, I was in the theater as a kid, um, and when I got out of the Army, I was going to be a history teacher and just keep theater as a hobby. Um, but... Um, you know, as far as my decision to be an actor, I <laughs> had a professor that I was taking a theater class with that said, you're good. And so I decided to pursue it. Um, you know, as far as my adjustment, I don't know. Uh, it's been a long road. I've been out for going on 11 years now. Um, I, 
I think part of my adjustment uh, uh, ties into the people that I was surrounded by and the people that showed me what I've come to know as radical love. Hmm. Um, people that, you know, were my friends, that thought differently than me, that wanted me to see the potential inside me and came at that from a perspective of they want me to change because they love me mm-hmm. and they see that in me as opposed to a condemnation of anything um i've been i've been i've just been very fortunate with the support that has surrounded me uh, i think most of my life um and i gotta say that's probably been the key to my transformation um that a lot of veterans just don't have access to does the soldier or the veteran ever leave you i mean or is that always going to be part of you it's it's a part of me every minute of every day yeah absolutely it's inseparable um maybe some of that has to do with the amount of time i was in you know six years is a relatively significant time you know um to have that way of life and being in that my formative years 18 through 24 um yeah heavily ingrained in me and that's not necessarily a negative thing i found you know um i appreciate the certain amount of situational awareness it has given me in any day um i know that can be a source of anxiety for a lot of people you know that can't shake that sort of paranoia you know when it comes over to that so again my support system has been really great in helping me manage this the quote-unquote soldier in me versus everything else Mm -hmm. You know, we have a few minutes left. Um, the Dr. Joe Show is, revolves around the I am approach, the idea that we're always doing the best we can with the potential to change in the next second, influenced by four domains, your home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the I see. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Because the four domains interconnect, small changes can have big effects. You don't need to change everything. So I'm wondering... What small change can you recommend to your brothers and sisters to manage what's happening right now with Afghanistan? Yeah, there's a, you know, I've thought about this this connection between approaching and acting and approaching, uh, you know, my time in service and sort of what led me down the change for the positive that I found. And it's, it's, it's something so basic that we hear all the time uh and it's listening Hmm. listening as opposed to hearing listening uh with every fiber of your being to the person across the table and listen with an intent to change something about yourself as opposed to listening in order to give an answer Hmm. um i think that's so crucial and such a building block to developing an empathetic person Mm -hmm. yeah I hope people are listening to that the second rule of the I am you control no one you influence everyone you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be Patrick what kind of influence do you want to be I want to be a pillar of support Mm -hmm. I think that that's the most noble cause for someone who looks like me. And by since this is radio, I'll say I look like a cis white male. (laughs) And to be a pillar of support for voices around you that have been stifled out 
because of your presence is where you need to be in society right now. Thank you. Thank you for your service mm -hmm. and for everything you've done and for the words of wisdom that you've provided. All right, folks. We'll see you all next week on The Dr. Joe Show. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S E C U R I T I T L E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.